Welcome back to Midday. I'm Tom Hall. It's time now for another installment of our occasional series, Midday in the Neighborhood. There are more than 270 named communities in Baltimore, and from time to time we focus on one or two of them to give folks from around the city and the Baltimore metropolitan area a feel for what makes each community unique. So joining me now is Nick Team. He's a data reporter for our news partner, The Baltimore Banner, and he's written about a street in Baltimore's Mount Vernon neighborhood, which has a long legacy of black business ownership. Nick joins me here in Studio A. It's good to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tom. And if you'd like to chime in with your uh, impressions of Reed Street, our number here at Midday, 410-662-8780, our email, midday at WIPR. So Reed Street, for folks who know the city of Baltimore, uh, you know, in the sort of the edge of Mount Vernon, um, interesting that you write that it has this incredible history dating back to the 19th century uh, of black uh, residences and businesses. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, You know, you walk into Mount Vernon and I think the sort of highlights of it are apparent, right? People walk by the Washington Monument, the enormous churches, all of this, right? There's this very apparent history that has really remained. Um, But there's this other history, right, this black history of the business in that neighborhood that I think a lot of Baltimoreans just aren't as familiar with, right? You'll walk through the neighborhood and pop into a record store or pop into a locksmith, pop into a cake shop, pop into a clothing shop. And the owners of all of these places are black. Um, And you talk to them and part of what they're so proud of with their businesses and, you know, what they really enjoy doing in the neighborhood is being part of this longer tradition that while, you know, Baltimore may have forgotten this black history in this neighborhood, they certainly have not. So uh, you write about Mother Mary Lang uh, of the Oblate Sisters, uh, who started the first and oldest black Catholic school for girls, the Oblate School for Colored Girls. Uh, It was on Reed Street. It's not there anymore, I guess. Um, But that was a a very, very important, uh, vibrant place uh, in the African-American community at the time. Yeah. I mean, you can imagine at the time there were no um, free public schools for black children to get any sort of education. Uh, Maryland didn't have uh, literacy codes, but other states did, right? It was illegal to teach black children to read in other places. And at that same time, uh, Mother Mary Lang was opening a school for young black girls to learn to read, to give them an education. Um, So what ended up happening was while the, the the school moved, um, you know, Mount Vernon was in a period of expansion, right? The city was sort of expanding north, expanding outwards. And one of the things that that meant at the time to enable that expansion to let people come in and out is that Park Street, which originally dead-ended at Reed, at that time known, at Rich, known as Richmond for this old market called Richmond Market, sort of like Lexington Market down the road, um, needed to move north. And so what stood in the way, effectively, was the old building of the Oblate School. And so, you know, when I talk about right today, you can walk through and see the Washington Monument. You can walk through and see the churches. Well, that's because they weren't demolished, right? And the Oblate School, the building, while the school had already moved at that point, the building ended up being demolished to allow for the expansion of Baltimore North. And so it makes it a lot harder to hold on to that history when the you know beautiful buildings that you might be able to walk down the street and appreciate 
are no longer there. Yeah, and not an uncommon thing uh, to happen here in Baltimore and around the country. Uh, black families, black uh, institutions uh, literally demolished and destroyed for uh, gentrification and expansion of uh, the white neighborhoods. Um, but in the 70s and the 80s, about a 1,000 black people, you report, uh, moved back in, in particular to Reed Street. Uh, so, And there are a number of uh, businesses there that are now thriving. Uh, so that it, it, it did turn around. Uh, there was a, a you know, black community did what they could to uh, oppose the, the, you know, being kicked out. Uh, but then they did start coming back. Uh, and there are some really great thriving businesses uh, as we speak on this, uh, this, this street in Mount Vernon. Yeah, so those were some of the stores that I was talking about a second ago. Um, You know, you walk down and you have Mount Vernon Records owned by a guy, William Hicks, who opened it up, you know, five years ago or something like this, a few, maybe four years ago now. Um, You know, you you, you walk in, walk past the street at any hour of the day, and he's probably outside talking to either a friend or a customer. Uh, The day I was there, it was leading up to Christmas, um, and we were just sitting there talking, having our interview. And an old friend of his popped in um, because he was selling him an Oculus Rift for his kids, right? So it's this incredible sense of no matter when you show up, no matter what they're doing, something is bound to happen, something interesting, something community-oriented. Down the street, there's uh, Bluestone Goldsmithing, which is this um, really, really interesting goldsmith. Um, so before it was Bluestone, it was a corner store called Jason Reed. And before it was the corner store Jason Reed, it was the piano bar Jason Reed. And so the current owner, this guy Kyle Johnson, um, went to Morgan State, I think, in the 90s. His dad was an engineer and his father was an engineer before that. Both went to Morgan. Uh, he started doing engineering at Morgan, but it wasn't for him, right? And so he told me this story when we were sitting in his, you know, the, the place he currently owns and works out of, how when it was that piano bar and he was at Morgan, he used to come to this same building that he now owns for a free drink or two. And, you know, 30 years down the road, um, you know, he, he sees this ring. I think he told me it was at a jeweler in Catonsville. Um, he loves it. He wants to buy it, but he can't afford it. And so he ends up meeting a goldsmith. Um, apprenticing as a goldsmith purely for and the learning idea. how to make it himself. Yes, literally. Yes, <laughs> That's fantastic. So they're yeah. sitting there, and he pulls out the same ring he had from thirty years ago. He still has it there, the one that he made. Um, and you know, there are stores just like that the whole way down. Right, there are a hundred stories from Cakes in the City and how it got started to Nubian Human, another story, uh, another store I mentioned in the piece, to Indigenous Wellness. Um, this store that is owned by you know the family you're sort of talking about a little bit, the Shropshires. Yeah, tell us about uh, Marguerite Shropshire Addison, uh, the sort of matriarch of this family that ended up starting four or five different businesses in that same area. Yeah, it, it, it's it's astounding. Um, so the Shropshires and um, Marguerite Marsha is her daughter's name. Maggie is the, the mother. She had owned a clothing store in um, the uh, Old Town Mall. And so she was the the, the first woman. Uh, yeah, first which is woman. over way away on, on the east side. Yeah, a whole other different neighborhood. Yeah, she was the first person to own a business in either one of those two locations. And so in the late 80s, she moves to Reed Street and opens up a clothing store, right? Sort of renewing her clothing store. 
Um, a few years after that, her uh, husband opens a clothing store. Um, a few years, a men's clothing store. A, a right? men's clothing yeah, store. Right. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Her brother, I think, opens a shoe store. Another family member opens a tailor. And so, within this period of like four or five years, all in the '80s, right, all after gentrification had hit Reed Street, and at some point, I think in 1960, the popu- black population of Reed Street was like 50 people. Um, so after this, right. Uh, the Shropshires move in. They open like six stores on one block. And so it's effectively this family um, feeling on the block that is literally family. Um, and so one of the things that I found so amazing about all this is that even though the Shropshires, Marsha had owned Indigenous Wellness, this store at 213, a clothing store. I think she was a neighborhood liaison as well. Um, even after the Shropshires no longer had businesses there. Um, you know, that sense of community still remains. And in some sense, like, how couldn't it, right? When you had this close-knit family that was so integral to the black business growth in the neighborhood, when you follow in the footsteps of that, I think that, you know, it, it creates this narrative through line, through history that inspires the present through, you know, everything that had occurred in the past. Yeah. What a great thing to think that it's one family who could, you know, uh, take care of all of your, you know, <laughs> clothing needs. You got the women Women's store, the men's store, the tailor, the shoe store. I mean, you can can do this, and it's important for everybody to know this because there's a lot of folks who want to make a you know a concerted effort to patronize black businesses. And clearly, Reed Street in Mount Vernon, which you might not think of off the top of your head, it would be the place that, you know for this this great concentration of black businesses. In fact, is I mean, Mount Vernon is thought to be generally considered, or you know, it, it the vibe is that it's a white neighborhood, you know. But here we have these thriving black black businesses on Reed Street, uh, just at, at the edge of Mount Vernon. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. And, you know, it, just to say one thing about the history of it, right? Like, while we conceptualize the neighborhood as being this, you know, like white or, you know, like gay neighborhood as it was for a long time, there's this incredible history of black business there, too. One of the things that, you know, just sort of floored me when I found out was, um, Indigenous Wellness, which is at 213 Reed Street, was in the late 1800s the uh, place, the, the business location for this black caterer, Edward Fatten. Um, he was worth $800,000 when he died in 1912. He was in the process of putting together an agricultural school for black boys in Maryland, Delaware, and Pennsylvania, right? And so even though the neighborhood changed and it went through, you know, this period of severe gentrification, that black history has always been there. Yeah, he's, and it's an easy history to lose, you know? So as we finish up Black History Month, I'm really delighted that you came and told us about it. Thanks so much, Nick. Yeah, thanks for having me. Nick Team is a data reporter for our news partner, the Baltimore Banner. That's it for us today. Coming up tomorrow, a conversation about a big development in East Baltimore that was granted what's known as a TIF and how things haven't quite turned out as planned with that particular tax tool. Also, I'll speak with Allison Colden of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation about her organization's top environmental priorities in this year's General Assembly. So that's coming up tomorrow and coming up next here on WIPR. It's here and now, so stick around for that. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks so much for being with us. I appreciate it. Have a great day. This is Baltimore's NPR News Station, 88.1 WYPR.